from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. This morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. John chapter 5. And as you turn there, we're, we're kind of starting a new cycle in the Gospel of John. Uh, John is semi-easy to outline. There's some pretty distinct divisions in, in John's Gospel. And, and John chapter 5 begins a new cycle. It's going to carry us really all the way to, to, to John chapter 12. And one of the ways you can define this cycle, and you're going to see it, is Jesus exerting His authority and the religious leaders opposing His authority. Um, as, as Jesus becomes more and more visible, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the ruling class that John just sort of describes as the Jews will come out and be publicly opposed to, to Him, uh, His teaching, His ministry, His healing, His authority, any aspect of Jesus, they are going to be opposed to it. And today when we read John chapter 5, verse 1-18 through 18, in just a moment, what they're going to be opposed to is His authority over sickness and over the Sabbath. Now this morning, we're just going to look at the first part because the story is going to continue next week uh, as they confront Him about the Sabbath. But this morning, going to John chapter 5, we're confronted once again with illness. Uh, you know, it, illness is one of those common issues that man has to deal with, right? We are not immune to any illness. We are not immune to any sickness. Uh, we know that. We know that by experience. We know that as we see it in the lives of those around us. And it brings a lot of questions to us. How do we deal with sickness? Why are we sick sometimes? Why does Jesus heal some and, and, and choose to heal others by bringing them into His kingdom? It leaves us with a lot of questions. This passage right here is going to answer a couple of those questions for us this morning. At the same time, in a larger picture, it's going to serve as a metaphor for something that's even more hopeless than physical illness. See, we have, and you can see this, and you know this, we have elevated physical health to, I think, the, the pinnacle of the mountain, right? Uh, I mean, uh, exercise programs, diet programs, Drugs for when you're sick, drugs before you get sick, uh, supplements to help you, yeah, just just everything. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be healthy, okay? But we have elevated to such an extreme that if you're sick, that that's maybe the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. Unless there's something even worse than just physical sickness. Something that is worse that we can't cure for ourselves. And Jesus makes it clear this morning that, yeah, physical sickness is bad, and yet there is something even worse that we need to be safe from, and He is the only one that can do it. So John chapter 5, verse 1 
through 18. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One, of, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going, going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. That story right there, where Jesus comes and heals the lame man, reveals to us just this three things that I want you to see this morning as we talk about this. Again, think of it metaphorically. And the first one is this, man's hopeless situation. We're introduced to a man who is in an incredibly hopeless situation. John begins the story by taking us back to Jerusalem where Jesus, as a devout Jew who is upholding the law, is there for one of the feasts that required people to go up to Jerusalem. If you're curious, the feasts were the Passover, followed 50 weeks later by what is the Feast of Weeks, sometimes called the Feast of Pentecost. So the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Pentecost is the same thing. Pentecost means 50th because it occurred on the 50th day after the Passover. And then the other one is the Feast of Booths, also called the Feast of of tabernacles. So Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem to worship as he was supposed to do. Any good Jewish male would do that. And as he is approaching Jerusalem, and think about it just from a geogra geographical setting, Cana is in the north, Jerusalem is in the south. So he's, he's coming down to Jerusalem, and on the northeast side of Jerusalem, as you're about to enter the city, would be a gate, right? They had a wall around Jerusalem, and to get into the wall, you got to go through a gate. And many times, the gates took on names that were practical to what the gate was used for. This one's called the Sheep Gate. Do I have any volunteers to think what usually came through the Sheep Gate? If you go sheep, you're right. And the reason why is in that northeast part of the city was where the temple was located. 
And if you're going to bring sheep into the temple for sacrifices, would it not be convenient to bring them into the city near the temple? So you don't have to navigate them up the streets. So Jesus is going to come in to the city through the sheep gate. Now, right outside the city, near the temple, is a pool. Okay, We're told it's called the Pool of Bethsaida, and it's got these five roof colonnades. And this pool was probably used for, for cleansing, all right? The, the people, not the sheep, okay? Now, what has happened here is this pool has drawn people around it, right? It just says, in these days lay a multitude of invalids. They, they, they've come to lay around the pool. All these people who are sick, lame, and are paralyzed. Now, at this point in the story, we don't know why they're there. And to kind of help you understand why they're there, we're going to have to just kind of take a little spur for just a minute and circle back around. Okay? And we're going to have to engage in a little Bible study. Look in your Bibles at John chapter 5, verse 4. Somebody read that to me. Verse 4. Who has John chapter 5, verse 4? There isn't one. <laughs> Thank you, Greg, for reading John chapter 5, verse 4. Now, let me say this, okay? Hold on. I, I'm, I'm messing with you. John chapter 5, verse 4. If you have a new, if you have a King James Bible, or if you have a New American Standard, possibly an older version of the NIV, you may have John chapter John verse three, the second part of John verse three, and John verse four in brackets. Okay. Now, all right, all right. I just had to mess with you. All right, all right. Uh, okay, I've lost everybody now because they're trying to figure it out. All right, focus, focus. You don't, you don't even have, are you sure you don't have the first part of three? King James has three and four. Okay, see, next thing you know, in, in just a minute, there's not going to be any donkey at Christmas carrying Mary to Bethlehem. Just wait till we get to the Christmas message, all right? All right, this is what I want you to see. The very oldest manuscripts of John do not have either all of three or the first part, the second part of three in verse four. Okay? Probably John did not record it because everybody knew it. Everybody knew why invalids were gathered around this pool. So if you don't have verse three and verse four, it's all right. It doesn't teach us, there's no doctrine that is lost. A piece of information is lost. Okay, that probably a later as they were trans, as they were uh, ish, uh, writing the manuscripts, right? No printing press, no copy, a hundred pages. Somebody who knew the story inserted the story. But here's the story: this pool had become associated with a miraculous healing. They didn't know why. They didn't understand. The best that they could come up with was since perhaps the proximity to the temple that... And think about this really, what it's kind of saying about God. 
that an angel from God would come down, touch the waters, create ripples in the water, and in that moment of free-for-all, whoever could climb over the other person first, right, and get into the pool first would be healed. Now, you can imagine what that scene would look like. I mean, just the hopelessness, the desperation. If you were there and you saw somebody who was a little bit closer and you had enough strength to reach out and grab that leg and pull them back so you could crawl over their weak invalid body and fall into the pool so that you could be healed, you would. Right? They're there because they're hopeless. And they've latched onto this superstition which really paints God as a very... I mean, a mean God who would just do something almost like just let's see what happens if I dangle this little bit of hope out in front of the most desperate people to see how they would behave. And we know that God is not like that. That's not the God of Scripture. Yet they are here. Because when you tell people who are sick that they can be healed and you maybe need to travel to this, this one place and you'll be healed, people will do it. Right? Now again, we're not talking about, okay, I'm here in Germantown, and I know that Duke Medical Center has the most advanced fill-in-the-blank medical procedure, that if I travel to this hospital with medical professionals, they can heal me. We're not talking about that. We're talking about if I can travel to this church that has a relic of of the Apostle John, and somebody sometime in the years past said that they were there and they touched the relic and then they were healed, and, and the story gets out. People are going to flock to that relic. Right? E- even Asheville. People flock to Asheville to be healed. The, the thought is that Asheville lays on these things that are called ley lines, and these ley lines are supposed to bring some type of energy to uh, that area. And it's a, it's a source of healing. So all these people descend on Asheville, and well, now you know why Asheville is, well, Asheville, right? Because they think that they can, they can be healed. You, you hold up healing to people. Come here, kiss this relic. Come here, fill this energy source, and you will be healed. People will go. People will do that. Hey, you send me a hundred dollars, and I'm going to send you this water that's been blessed that I've prayed over. And you take that hundred dollar water and you drink it, and 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 you're going to be healed. I mean, we laugh and think nobody would fall for that, and yet we have people who, pastors, who do that, who are flying around and. Gulfstream jets because people will. You put people in a hopeless situation and say this will heal you, people will do anything and everything to be healed. And you look right here in John chapter 5, there's nothing that these people can do. All right, we talked about that last week with, or with the boy with the fever. If you had a fever for several days, probably you're going to die. There's nothing that they can do. They are absolutely and totally help, helpless. And they've lost hope. They're desperate. And John says, 
that that is where Jesus goes. And when he walks in, he sees this man who has been there for 38 years. For 38 years, he could not walk, which means he is older than 38. Okay, and at this point in time, uh, you know, that's kind of an anomaly. Now, I know when you look at lifespans for, you know, this time, Roman period time, the lifespan is really small. But you have to realize that's because a lot of people died as infants and as children. And so the age skews down. But if you were, he's 38, if he got injured when he was 10, he's, he's 48 now. And that's, that's starting to live a pretty good life. But for 38 years, he couldn't do anything. When do you think in the 38 years he gave up all hope? And just said, there's nothing I can do. And Jesus walks in. Now this is a good question for us. Kind of touched on this a little bit in Sunday school, sort of. Would you have gone there? Would that have been an area that you would have walked into? I'm going to speak for me because I know y'all are holier than me. I wouldn't. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hopeless. As I walk through, what can I do for the blind man? I can lead him around town, maybe. What, what can I do for the guy who can't walk? What can I do for the person over here who has leprosy? What, what, what can I do? Absolutely nothing. And when you walk in and you see that, I mean, it, it's overwhelming. It, it, it's hard. Because not only do you see it, I mean, you feel it, you smell it, everything. I mean, I don't want to be disgusting or gross, but if you're an invalid, you're going to have some very specific hygiene issues. You're not going to be pleasant to be around. The, the, the closest that I've, I've, I've ever been to this was when we were in Romania. And a few times we went into some of the Romani villages, and, and Romani are probably better known by the derogatory name Gypsy. I, I can't tell you the level of hatred the Romanian people had for the Romani. Really and truly, anywhere that there are a Romani people group, the people in that nation absolutely positively despise them. They hate them. And we would go in these villages. And, and when I say villages, they, they are villages, but I don't want you to think that I am... I'm not talking about, we lived in Bucharest. I'm not talking about, you know, three hours outside of Bucharest into the middle of nowhere. I'm talking about, you could see the Capitol buildings. And you would go into these villages and you, you, you could see the hopelessness. You could, you could hear it. You, you could smell it. I mean, it's just, it was so very difficult. So very hard. Because you're looking around, you're going, what, what can I do? How can I possibly help? And you almost take on that same hopelessness that they have. And into this, Jesus walks. The devout Jew heading up to worship. You know who would not walk into those into that pool? It would be the devout Jews heading up to worship. Why? What's going to happen to that person who is on his way to the temple to worship? 
And they decide to, to walk through the pool. And as they're walking through the pool, there's a person over here that has leprosy. And they walk by, and that person reaches out and touches their garment. What happens to them? They can't go to the temple. They are now unclean. They can't go to go worship. So they're not going to go in any way, shape, or form near this place that might put them in an unclean position where they can't worship, never mind that there's a multitude of people around here who can't worship. It's just, it's just hopeless. And yet we find Jesus there. We find Jesus there. And He walks up to this man and... I don't know why this one. We don't, other than His providence and His grace and His mercy, I don't know why this one. I always tell y'all, don't read other stuff into the Bible. You know, that's, that's really bad. I, I, there's a part of me when I read this, I just, I just hope that John just recorded this one. Right? I hope Jesus touched everybody that was there. We want Jesus to have healed every last one of them. Because we know that He could. For whatever reason, John records only this one if there were others. And he walks up to this man and he asks him on first glance what appears to be an incredibly stupid question. Do you want to be healed? Now, some of you I have visited in the hospital. Some of you I have visited after you have returned from surgery. To my knowledge, I have never looked at any of you and say, do you want to be healed? You know why? For me, it's kind of a stupid question. You're like, after you smack me, you're going to go, yeah. But we know something, right? We know that Jesus doesn't ask stupid questions. Why would Jesus ask this man, do you want to be healed? You've been here for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? Well, Jesus, if you notice this, ask a lot of these type questions. Go back to look at the woman at the well where he says to her, if you had known who was giving, asking you for water, you would have looked at him and said, give me living water. Jesus does this to draw information out of the people. And I think his question is a legitimate question. Sir, do you want to be healed? Maybe he doesn't. You think, who wouldn't want to be healed? Well, at, at this time, if you were a lame beggar and you, this is the only life that you knew and people were giving you money, you, you could have possibly made a good living. And if you're healed, what disappears? Your source of income, your money. Now, I know, I know this, this, we, we really have to think differently to, to come up with that, right? Maybe he doesn't want to be healed because there's going to be a new life that's going to require him to find a job and to work and it's going to be difficult, but... I'm here. People give me money. I can buy what I need. Maybe he's just resigned to it. Maybe he likes it. Jesus is, is, is trying to draw out from him, do you really want to be healed? I know that you're here, but do you want to be healed? And when the man answers and looks at Jesus, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when it's stirred. I'm going down into the steps down. Somebody comes before me. It at least is a tacit admission that, yes, I want to be. I am trying to be healed. I just I can't heal myself because I'm in a hopeless situation. 
I need help. And all he can see in his answer, it's not who's standing before him who has created all things and who has authority over all things. All he can say in his answer is the one thing that I can still kind of try is this mystical cure that will heal me. Maybe you'll be the one to put me in the water. But he is completely and totally helpless. Completely and totally in a hopeless situation unless Jesus acts. And he does. And in and when Jesus acts, what we see and what we are told is Jesus is Lord over physical sickness. We see that in verses 8 through 9. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? He's, he's basically kind of said yes. So what is Jesus going to do? Because remember, we've read John chapter 4. We've read John chapter 2. We know that Jesus can do something. What is Jesus going to do? Is He going to pick Him up and just carry Him over to the waters first? Is Jesus going to stand guard and beat everybody else away so that He can crawl into the waters? What is Jesus going to do? Is He going to look at Him and give Him one of those good Christian platitudes? Hang in there, you got this. Alright? What is Jesus going to do? He speaks to him. That's all he does. He ignores his complaint. He ignores his superstition. And Jesus speaks to him and tells him, now this is amazing, looks at him and says, I want you right now to do the very thing that for 38 years you have not been able to do. And it's a command. Jesus doesn't say, hey, why don't you think about getting up? Try walking. Hey, have you thought about this here? Let me grab your shoulder. We'll hobble together until you get your strength back and you can begin to walk. Jesus looks at him and says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Three specific commands that he gives the guy. And Jesus is is calling this man and calls people and calls us to act in response to His commands. Right? You'll see that over and over with Jesus. We already have where He says, go and do this, and He expects the people to obey Him. But what He tells the man to do is amazing. He says, get up. Get up right here, right now. Don't think of anything else. Just stand up. Take up your mat. Now that's that's really interesting, isn't it? Why? Now next week, we're going to see part of this is it is Jesus is eliciting a confrontation about the Sabbath to teach people that He is Lord of the Sabbath. There's something else. What does that picking up His mat communicate to that man? You're not going to need to come back here tomorrow. You don't need it. Don't don't leave it here. Right? I mean, that that map maybe had been there for 38 years. That was his spot. Right? Y'all know what spots are. Y'all have them. No, I don't. You're sitting in it right now. All right? Ain't nothing wrong with the spot. The man had his spot. 
Jesus says, you're not going to be there tomorrow. Pick up your map. And then walk. Anybody ever had a Charlie horse? Right? It's hard to walk with the Charlie horse, isn't it? Anybody ever have one of those leg cramps in the morning where you, it just it just hurts so bad and you you, you kind of you start stretching your leg? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You start stretching your leg and you start feeling it build up in your calf and you're like, no, 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 no. Oh man, that hurts. And then you try to get out and think you can walk it off and you can't. Y'all y'all know what I'm talking about. You need somebody to help you. Jesus looks at him and says, nobody's going to help you. You don't need to be carried out of here. You don't need physical therapy. You just need to walk. And immediately, what milliseconds before was impossible, he is now able to do. The sickness left his body. Jesus demonstrates he is clearly Lord over sickness. When he tells the sickness to leave the body, it has to leave. Now he is healed. And for the first time in 38 years, think of all the things that that man experienced that he had not experienced before. I mean, that's been gone for 38 years. He, he fills his legs. He, he fills his feet. What, whatever it is that goes from your brain to your feet that tells your feet, pick, step up, go forward, step up, go forward to walk. He, those, those synapses are now firing. Hey, you know what else he saw? 38 years, he saw the world from six inches off the ground. He sees the world right here now. He sees people's faces instead of their feet. For the first time in 38 years, he got up, he took, out, took up his mat, he walked out of the compound and never once touched the water. The mystical cure he didn't need. He needed Jesus. And Jesus comes and heals him. And this is really important when we're talking about healing. To understand that this, this is the second healing. It falls right below, right after the boy that he, raised, that he took the fever from. This is generally considered his third sign. And when Jesus comes and He heals the guy, he, he heals him freely. The guy didn't purchase it. He didn't do anything to earn it. And it is Jesus' grace and mercy. And I know that that's hard for us because we go, Jesus, it's great that you had it on this guy that there are other guys. How about that? We know it's difficult because we know people that we want to be healed. And, and, and we can't quite understand why right I mean it's hard and and then this trying to understand you you know that's we've had this proliferation of faith healers right because we do see it in the New Testament. And it was a sign given in the New Testament. We see Jesus do it. We see Peter do it. We, 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 we see Paul do it. But we fail to understand that as the, the, the church was just beginning and the authenticity of Christ and who He was was being revealed to the world, those signs pointed back to Jesus. 
And, and, and this sign is pointing him to Jesus. We're going to see that in just a minute. But while we're talking about the, this, this faith healing, we need to understand this. This is really important. This guy was not healed because of his faith. When you read this, this story, he doesn't come off as really a great man of faith. I mean, I, I, I don't want to disparage him too much. We don't know much, but he's been there for 38 years and nobody's helped him. Surely in 38 years, somebody has tried. Right? He doesn't know who Jesus is. Doesn't see, he doesn't stop to ask as he's walking away, hey, who are you? But later, when Jesus approaches him, he knows. And then what does he do? What's the first thing that he does? He goes and finds the religious authorities and say, hey, I know the guy now. I mean, and it reads like he's tattling on Jesus. There's no faith apparent from the Scripture here that says this man had such a great faith in Jesus that his faith in Christ made him well. Yet today, when you hear people talking about faith healing, that's exactly what they say. Right? It... it, it if you have enough faith, then through their ministry, you can be healed. And it, it's, 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 it's very devious. Because when that person isn't healed, it's never their fault. The person never had enough faith. If, if your faith was just stronger, then you would have been healed. Wait a minute, you told me you were the faith healer. Shouldn't it be your faith? Right? Because you know what? It's Jesus' faith right here that heals him, not his. So if this person over here is going, yeah, I'm, having, I'm a faith healer. I can heal you from your sickness. Then by gosh, your faith better be strong enough to heal me, not mine. But that's what they pray on. And this text, along with many others, debunk that idea. It's not a faith healing. It is a healing given by Jesus out of His grace and mercy as a sign to point us to who He is. And that He alone is the one that can take us out of our hopeless and helpless state and transform us. In the case of this man, it was over physical sickness. Jesus did what nobody else could do. Jesus made him well. At the same time, there is a greater healing that this man needs. There's a greater healing that all mankind needs. And we see it in verse 14 where we learn that not only is Jesus Lord over physical sickness, He is Lord over spiritual death. In verse 14, Jesus approaches him and this is this, notice that as well. The man didn't go look for Jesus. Jesus finds him, right? Verse fourteen. Afterwards, Jesus found him. <laughs> he, he don't care. He's well. Jesus goes looking for him, and he's he's in the temple, and Jesus makes this startling statement. First, he says, "See, you are well." Just like I told you, there's there's not been a relapse. I told you you are well, you are well. 
Then he says, go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now that's, that's a really astounding statement. Really astounding for a couple reasons. First of all, it tells us that this man's specific situation is a result of his sin. He has been like this for 38 years because he sinned and something caused this to happen. Now, that is an unpopular statement to look and tell people that sometimes the specific situation that you are in is a direct result of a sin you committed. Yet Scripture is clear about this. Right? We see it in Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They both lie to the Holy Spirit. They both die. We see it in 1 Corinthians 11 that people are disobeying God. They're not listening to Him. And Paul says, that is why some of you are sick and ill and dying. Right? We, we, we see it today. Right? I mean, the, the easiest way to see this is God's clear command to abstain from sexual impurity and immorality. And if you violate that, whether it be heterosexual promiscuity or homosexual activity, there are a number of diseases that you can get that will lead to sickness and illness. So when you go out and you sin, please know that you're playing with fire. That you can draw a, a line from the sin to your sickness. That's very clear. The second thing that is very clear that we will see in depth in John chapter 9 is not every illness is a result of a specific individual sin. Here it is. This man right here, yes, that is a true statement. However, not every illness, and I, I, want, I want to make sure everybody hears that, not every illness is a direct result of a specific individual sin you committed. So Jesus looks at him and says, hey, go and sin no more. And then he throws in that nothing worse may happen to you. What in the world could be worse than laying on a dirty mat for 38 years beside a pool? What could possibly be worse? Matthew chapter 10. We're going to close here in just a second. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33. Jesus is talking. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the warning Jesus issues the man. That something worse is going to come. And that worse is one day he will die. One day he will die. One day we will die. Right? Death rate is 100%. The question becomes, what happens after 
we die. The something worse that Jesus is telling the man here is the final judgment. That you continue in your sin, you continue to be rebellious to God, you die in your sin, and then you're going to die, you're going to stand before Christ in judgment. And when you do, because you have denied me before men, I will deny you before my Father. You're going to stand before Christ at judgment. Every last one of us will stand before Him. And there's really only two ways that we're going to stand before Him. We're going to stand before Him as one who constantly rebelled against Him, who denied Him, denied that He was the Christ, denied that He was the Savior, did not look to Him for salvation. And when we stand before Him like that, He's going to give us a fair hearing. He's going to look through all the books of everything that we've done in our life, and He's going to go, it just doesn't measure up because you lack this one thing. You didn't believe in Me. He's going to look to the Father and say, I don't know Him. And then He's going to hear, depart from Me because I don't know you. That's the something worse to the man, yes, your physical burden was horrendous and awful. To those of you today who may be fighting that, yes, it is difficult, it is hard, but there is something worse than just being physically ill. And the something worse is never knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, there awaits for you a spiritual death that you can't save yourself from. It's nothing that we can do. John's already told us in John chapter 3 that we stand condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn us because we had already condemned ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. It is an utterless, utterly hopeless situation. Unless Jesus Christ does something. Unless He is the one who can save us from the spiritual death, move us from spiritual death to eternal life. Unless He goes and He takes on our sins, dies a death that was meant for us, so that when He is raised to eternal life, our belief in Him, then we can be raised to eternal life as well. Jesus is the only one who can save us from a spiritual death that is to come. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ the Son is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. And if you have that life in His name, then one day, all right, one day that powerful voice of Jesus is going to say to you, get up, get up, as He calls our bodies out of the grave into the resurrection of eternal life. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.